This is the Australian Hunting Podcast, hunting, shooting and fishing radio on the AHP Digital Radio Network. Visit us at australianhuntingpodcast.com.au. Sit back, relax and enjoy. Here's the host of the show, Jason Selms. Welcome back to the Australian Hunting Podcast, hunting, shooting and fishing radio. Great to have everyone back. I've had a little bit of a break. Uh, just having a bit of a rest, to be brutally honest, during the Sydney lockdown. It's been uh, a little bit difficult to be able to get out hunting. Uh, we've just been at home, just working from home, probably like most of us, if we're <laughs> if some of us are actually still working, but I'm still working from home. So uh, hopefully we're going to be able to get out hunting back on the 13th, hopefully down to the Riverina to shoot ducks sometime around November. Um, I'm surprised that's even, even remotely on our cards at the moment, just considering all the things that have happened in regards to lockdowns in Sydney. I just didn't think it was going to be possible even this year. Probably, I didn't even think it was going to be possible to probably get up to Port Macquarie and, and, and even see my family for Christmas. So hopefully we're going to have a good time. If uh, we're lucky, we definitely will be going down to shoot ducks on the Riverina. So I'm definitely looking forward to that. Just been having a bit of break, guys, during COVID. You know, it's been a bit difficult, especially sponsorship-wise and stuff like that. A lot of industry, a lot of people are struggling. Um, yeah, just support, you know, platform. A lot of platforms, not just mine out there. A lot of YouTubers as well are also struggling to, to maintain what they're doing. And yeah, it's been a bit of a, I think a bit of a bad time for everybody. So as I said on a previous show, probably at the moment, I'm just going to go back to monthly shows for the time being. Um, I hope that's okay with a lot of people. It's just an easier way for me to be able to put podcasts out regularly, make sure I'm maintaining what I'm doing and also, you know, maintaining my life, life sorry, outside the podcast as well. So I hope everyone understands and I'm going to try and get some really good people coming up on the show uh, over the next three to six months, some really good ones that you might enjoy and get a bit more technical, you might say, but also interview a lot of hunters. So sometimes you might see two in a row over two weeks. Sometimes it might be a month or five weeks between a show, uh, and then you might see three in a row in three weeks. It just really depends on uh, my workload. But uh, for all the people that support me, I do appreciate it. Uh, I've been 10 years of doing this show. It's uh, it, it means a lot to me. I know it means a lot to a lot of people as well. And I want to thank, of course, all the people on Patreon that do support me, being able to do what I do. You guys are the best. Again, if I didn't have you guys on board, I probably would have given up a long time ago, but you guys certainly uh, keep me doing it and uh, keeps my thirst and passion very high. So thank you all that. If you do want to join us on Patreon as well, just to help out the show, keep the show going, um, support the show in any way, shape or form, patreon.com forward slash AHP is the way to do that. So today's guest is Chris Waters. Now he's from, he's the Australian Huntsman on YouTube, but he's also the creator of huntingtrips.com.au, which is what we're going to talk about. I, I swear the biggest question that I get throughout doing this show is where can I go hunting? And it's very difficult to sometimes continually to keep sending out information to people, um, especially getting the same question a lot. So when I got contacted by Chris, had a look at what he was offering in regards to huntingtrips.com.au and also his um, uh, YouTube channel, The Australian Huntsman. And uh, he does a really good um, uh, way of getting all this information in one spot, whether it's his YouTube channel or whether it's Hunting Trips, the website, uh, you're able to go there and look about where you can hunt in Australia. So whether that's public land hunting, whether that's uh, private land and you want to actually go somewhere uh, and be and do an outfitting hunt, uh, you 
pretty much can go on those sites and find absolutely everything that you need to get out there in the bush and uh, and become successful. So if you want to do the public land thing, like I did when I first started as well, which I still do now, you can certainly do that. But also too, if you want to go, nah, I want to get some experience from somebody. I want to go out there with someone that's experienced. Well, then you can go on that website as well and uh, find someone in your area. Or if you're willing to travel, you can go there, you can book in for a hunt with an outfitter and hopefully have some great success. Um, and you might cut out a lot of the not want to say wasted time hunting because hunt you know, on public land because it's never wasted, but you might be a bit more successful, obviously, early on where you're actually going to go to a place uh, where you've actually got game and you know you're probably going to be able to hopefully a good percentage chance of being able to shoot something. So you can go on his website huntingtrips.com.au or you can actually go do the Australian Huntsman on YouTube. He's got some really fantastic videos of uh, each individual state on where to hunt and it gives you a good idea too about, you know, just, just all the places you can hunt, where places are close to you as well and it's a really, really good resource. So I thought I'll get him on the show, have a chat with him to find out why he did this, why he put this place together and uh, all this information ready for hunters to be able to go out there and become more successful at hunting as well. So again, I want to thanks everyone. If you want to send me an email Australian Hunting Podcast at gmail.com and also if you want to send us uh, to our mailbag you want to send a question just go to that website either email me or you can go to the website and click on that um, leave voicemail bar as well or button I think it's a minute and a half and you can actually leave us a question and I'll play it and I'll put it out on the show so other than that not really much else to talk about a lot of people still ask me even after 10 years where you can listen to the show you know Spotify you've got Castbox you've got Stitcher the website I think I said Spotify already pretty much just type in Australian hunting podcast and you will find it on the internet so uh, anyway I think we should probably get into my show with Chris Waters so without further ado let's get into the show Chris man welcome to the show thanks for joining me great to have you here Man, thanks for having me. It's, it's awesome. I'm looking forward to it. No worries, man. Tell us about yourself first. I want to find a, you know, you, we had a shit, probably one of the most people that's actually written a pretty in-depth uh, synopsis about <laughs> yourself, which I've never actually received before. Normally a lot of people, um, you know, write me a little bit, but not as much as this. So I do appreciate that, getting to know someone, which is good. But tell us about yourself, man, where you're from, what do you do, and yeah. Oh man, now I feel bad that I wrote so much. <laughs> Sounds like I'm really into myself, which I hope I'm not. Uh, so my name is Chris Waters. Um, I go by the Huntsman, uh, the Australian Huntsman on YouTube, uh, YouTuber, uh, but uh, primarily a hunter and live in Victoria, Australia, and just love hunting, like just obsessed with hunting and everything about hunting from the sport of hunting to conservation to understanding animals and their behaviors and what drives them to harvesting and kind of getting closer to food. Uh, I'm a website designer by trade, so that's what I do to make a living and make a buck. Uh, I have a young family as well, a wife and two young boys, Eli and Parker, who are at the time of this recording, what, oh, if I get it wrong, I get killed, uh, seven and nine years old, just starting at the moment to get into hunting. Like, both are interested, but at that classic age where you, you'll sit down on like a slope and you'll be glassing for, you know, 10, 15 minutes and they're like, Hey dad, where's the deer? <laughs> Why we didn't deer yet? <laughs> and you're like, yeah, yeah. Wait, come on, like, give me a break. Um, so yeah, so I, um, I, I do YouTube hunting videos, Australian hunting videos, just for a bit of fun, nothing too serious. It's, it's certainly not a career. It's just um, a way to kind of document my experience and the learning uh, that I'm going through as a, as a hunter. And then I also have this website called Australian uh, 
Hunting Trips. Hunting Trips Australia is what it's called. Uh, huntingtrips.com.au, which is something I'm sure we'll talk about later, but uh, it's a fairly new venture and something I'm hoping will help empower hunters and get them out there uh, learning and experiencing the awesome Australian hunting experience. Yeah, it's good. How old are you, man? You don't look that old. Anyway, how old are you? Uh, 35. Oh, shit, how old did you think of Oh, I thought maybe he's in his tw- tw- maybe mid to late 20s, and I thought, shit, seven and kids that are seven and nine, I thought he's not. He's obviously a bit older than I'm thinking. Then. Either that or you had kids young, one or the other. I mean, it's one well, or the other. both, man. Like, I wanted to have kids when I was, like, 12. Like, wanted, I was just so impatient to have kids, to buy the house, to get the car, get a job, and start living my life. Like, I just wasn't interested in school. I mean, I went through to year 12 and then I went on and did, um, you know, further education and, and got a degree and stuff. But man, all, all I wanted to do was just get on with life. Have you been able to, I mean, I guess off topic a little bit, you've been able to work from home through all this crap that's going on or you've been um, just doing other things or other digital stuff or what have you been doing? I've been doing a, a real mixed bag. So I've got like an interesting story in that uh, about 12 months before uh, COVID hit, so what, nearly two years ago now, uh, I I was the director of a digital agency, so uh, big business. Uh, we did things like website design, online marketing, graphic design, um, big advertising agency. And I I worked there. I'd actually sold my other business to them, and I was staying on as the director of, of that kind of division, the website design division. And about twelve months before COVID, I was talking to my wife, and we were we've been kind of slowly making our way towards. A, like a slower lifestyle, trying to get close to the land, get close to the food that we eat. We moved out, did the tree change maybe four years before that and started raising pigs and stuff and, and bees and goats and all that kind of thing, got some land. And so we've been moving close to that lifestyle and we just found that we were knackered, like we were just stuffed. And we were doing the nine to five. We were like getting out of work, pulling our kids out of daycare or out of school and then having dinner and putting them to bed and it just felt rubbish. And so my wife was part-time at the time and she said, I really want to go back to like work full time because she's like a corporate power businesswoman. And I'm like, well, you know, my job is like not the most important thing in the world. How about, you know, you go back uh, to full time and I'll jump back and I'll leave this, this great position and I'll just kind of do my own thing again. I'll go back and become a sole trader. I'll do website design freelance on the side, maybe some other cool side projects with hunting. And we're like, yeah, cool. Sweet. And so we told the boss six months before the COVID hit. And then as COVID started to become a thing, <laughs> it was leading up to the end of March, which was the very first lockdown. And that was the week I was supposed to finish. And I'm, I'm looking at my wife going, is this a good time to do this? Like to leave this great job and this, you know, <laughs> secure money and all yeah. this stuff. Like it, it should we? and we're like, nah, let's just, we, we committed to this, let's do it. And to be honest, it was the best decision that we've made because it meant that like I just became a full-time um, like dad at home with, like teaching my kids doing homeschooling for however long that was. It was just crazy. Um, and it meant that we had the freedom and the flexibility that I could start from scratch with a freelance website design business, um, but, you know, kind of control the, I guess, the frequency of how much I was doing that. And we're really lucky. We have a lot of land. Um, and so we actually have a studio at the back of the property, uh, which is completely isolated from the rest of the house. And that's kind of like the little safe work haven where, um, depending who's working, whether it's me or my wife, uh, we go down to that studio and like away from the kids. And it's, it's just a godsend because, man, the, the people who don't have that, I mean, my heart goes out to people who are in Melbourne in the apartments and have kids, man, that's, that's brutal. I couldn't do that. So, yeah, I've been lucky. 
I can imagine. I mean, I get this question all the time too. I mean, I don't know what, maybe you can you know, enlighten us a little bit as well. You know, whether you, you know, when you said, let's do this tree change, let's get out of Melbourne, let's uh, get somewhere a bit smaller, live on the land. You know, I get a lot of guys, because you know, a lot of, obviously a lot of guys hunting as well. And, you know, they talk to me and say, hey, listen, you know, like I want to do this, but, you know, how do I bring it up with my significant other or wife or, <laughs> you know, and, and, and it's been a lot of, some people are either too scared to or they're going, well, yeah. I want to get out of here, but, you know, I just don't think my wife or significant other does. What do I do? And I said, man, I just can't give advice on that. I mean, and I don't know, it's I guess how, how important it is to you. But what did your wife say when you said you wanted to move out? She was okay with it if she was from, I don't know, if she was from Melbourne or she was already from a rural area. But what advice would you give to guys that say, hey, listen, I want to bring this up with my wife. I want to get out of Melbourne. I mean, there's a yeah. lot of reasons why people can't. Jobs, their family might yeah. be in a certain area. They can't aff- do that. They can't afford to do that. That, or how do they even bring it up with a significant other about, hey, I just want to get out of here and move rural and let's get smaller yeah. jobs that may not pay as much, but we're going to be a lot happier? Yeah, I think, look, I I think it'd be very, very difficult if you're, you kind of have this aha moment, this enlightenment moment, and you want to make that decision really quickly, and then you need to convince your significant other to make that change. I think that would be very hard, which obviously a lot of people are in that, that position at the moment because the aha moment has been COVID. It's completely shattered everyone's worldviews. No one knows what's happening tomorrow. It's like the first time in history that we're kind of living day by day and that's the human experience for everyone. So I understand why people in that position, when we were making the decision to go tree change, it's something that we've been leading up to uh, and we, we kind of both had that shared vision. So we were, even when we were living um, just in a suburban block, we had uh, bees and we had uh, chickens and we were doing veggie gardens and stuff like that. And so for us, it was like the retirement dream to eventually move out to like the high country and have a, ha- a cabin in the high country and be completely isolated, have our own uh, electricity and water source, like generating that and uh, just completely live off the land. That was the retirement goal. And then the, what happened with us was we had some friends that lived down the street from us who went to auction for their house and they sold it for like a lot more than we thought it was worth. And so that was a light bulb moment for us thinking, maybe this retirement dream isn't as far away as we thought it was. And so we then then looked into the market and realized our house was worth heaps more than we thought it was and ended up selling up like a 30, 40-year-old house in the suburbs to go buy a whole bunch of land with a brand new house that was like architecturally designed for the same amount. Like we literally just crossed over like swap mortgages basically. Um, and so I, I think like, I mean, you'd hope that your significant other is on the same page as you at the start. I mean, you'd hope that you'd be in sync and in rhythm so you wouldn't have to twist their leg. Um, but I'd probably encourage guys and girls to just slowly start to, you know, dip your toe in, in the water with, with, with that lifestyle because it is a big change. Like, it's crazy. Once you start getting livestock and then you're having to look after that livestock every single day, um, and then you got animals being birthed on the property and you got to get, you know, understand how that works and get used to that. There's a lot to learn. And I think you want to make sure that you're committed and, and that's going to be a healthy lifestyle. I think it's, I think everyone should do it personally, but, um, I also know it's not for everyone. And I, and I hate to see people make snap decisions too soon in the journey and then, yeah, just get burnt out from it. Mm, yeah, I mean, I'm in the same boat too. I mean, you know, I've got a fantastic paying job, so I can't really, you know, afford to, and I've been there a long time. You've got to weigh up the yeah. figures of, you know, if I leave my job now, I get, you know, 
a great redundancy as well. I mean, you don't want to live your life off redundancies, but, you know, I just can't afford to leave, you know, probably with more my entitlements, my long service. I mean, it's in the six figures. I just can't afford to to, to piss that up against a wall, which is annoying because I really want to get out of here and, <laughs> uh, you know, go and do something different, you know. Man, it's super. It's one of the things I think is the hardest barrier or the highest barrier to entry into like a more subsistent lifestyle is just the cost. I mean, fear's a big part of it, right? You go, I'm going to take, leave this great cushy job and take this risk. Um, so there's that element that you need to consider and think about. And you can't be dumb and just like leave a great job and then have no money. Like that just doesn't work. Um, but it's even like, you know, even country living is getting more and more expensive to buy these parcels of land. They're becoming more and more expensive. And so it's becoming harder and harder for people to even make the change, even if they're happy with the sacrifice. So, um, I mean, even like I worry about my kids and I mean, we'll, we'll be have we'll have an inheritance for them. Um, uh, but like, I don't, I don't know how they're going to do it. Otherwise, I don't know how young people are going to afford to buy a, a block of land and a house and stuff. And but you're right. It is, it is tricky. Um, <laughs> especially leaving the cushy job like I think you need to be smart about it and entrepreneurial and have some things on the go uh, that can help sustain you if you can yeah I know I've got one bit to add to that but I'm going to go to a break first but I keep telling forgetting people we do a advertising Chris for our camo warehouse so I keep forgetting to tell people AHP10 at checkout guys so if you want to use that you're going to get 10% off so if you are going to shop with them at least put that in because you're going to save more money so let's go quick break be right back Camo Warehouse is Australia's leading supplier of quality hunting clothing and accessories. We stock leading outdoor clothing brands such as Rocky Boots, Georgia Boots, Hunter's Element, Ridgeline, Spiker, 511, Stony Creek and many more. Camo Warehouse is the leading supplier of optics and shooting accessories including Leopold, Bushnell, Zerotech, Lyman, Powerbeam and Lightforce. We can also order in custom Boyd stocks from the US to your specific requirements. Camo Warehouse offers as flexible, zero-interest payment options including Afterpay and ZipPay. Order via our website at camowarehouse.com.au or give us a call on 02 6771 2836. Yep, so guys, don't forget AHP 10. Chris, a lot of people talk to me as well. This is the biggest one, even for me. I'm not married, no kids, so a lot of single people, but even people that are married with children, they say, hey, like, why did you decide on a certain place? Why that particular area did you want to move? Some people want to move to places for at least you know, a better lifestyle, maybe a better, maybe a sea change a little bit. But still with hunting opportunities, some people want to move, you know, bit inland, like as you said, the Victorian high country or where you're living currently as well. And people say, well, where do I go? And I say, well, that's a great, that's a great question. That's the question <laughs> of all questions. Like, where do they go? Do you, are you moving for hunting opportunities? Is it, is it to be closer to hunting opportunities, to be outdoors with hunting opportunities close by? So when people say, well, where do I go if I'm not living in this area where I've lived my whole life, where do I go? And again, very hard question to answer. <laughs> yeah, I mean, it's like, I mean, there's so many factors that contribute to, to where you should go. And you really need, and, then, and it's different for everyone. Like, you need to think about, about like, what are your goals and your objectives, right? So, if you're going to try and do the tree change, move inland, let's say, but you still want to have some measure of career in a job, I mean, that's becoming easier thanks to COVID in terms of like remote, you know, uh, work. But like you might need to find, you know, a small parcel of land, you know, I don't know, 30 minutes, an hour out of the city uh, and be happy with the commute 
And that commute can be brutal, but if it's remote, if you have mostly remote working and then a commute maybe once a week, twice a week, whatever it is, if you're content with that, then, then do that. Like if you want complete isolation, like I think the high country is an amazing place, then again, it's harder to get parcels of land in there. Uh, it, it just depends on what you want to do. For us, it was like <laughs> part of it was we didn't want to be too far away from family. So we wanted to be within about 40 minutes from family. And especially because I've got young kids, um, my siblings are all just starting to have kids now and I want to be close to them and my, my parents um, are quite close to them as well. So they're all, we're all trying to keep that in the mix. We need to be close enough to the city that we can still work in the city if we need to or if we want to, but far enough away that it feels like, you know, where we are living that country lifestyle. Not feels like that it is we are living that country lifestyle. But then at the same time, like the, the ultimate factor is like what can you afford, right? That's the really the, the pin that kind of will pop your dream or make it a reality is you can put all those things at the mix and like, I need, oh, you know, I want to be close to family. I want to have access to the great job. And, but then it's like, well, what's available, A, and B, uh, is it good? And C, can I afford it? And if you can wrangle all those things together and, and into a nice little real estate package and, and go for it, then, then great. But it's becoming increasingly hard to do that, unfortunately. Hey, how did you get into hunting anyway? Was it uh, family, friends? How did you get into it? Well, I, I would love to say that I come from a long line of hunters. <laughs> I have a rich hunting So would I, but I just, it just doesn't exist. <laughs> <laughs> no, I, I just don't. And like I, I was the first hunter in my family. Um, I, I mean, I grew up on the coast and um, in and around Geelong. And so we had great access to um, the bay and, and spear fishing and fishing. So I grew up spear fishing. That was my thing. That was my kind of initial, not, I'm not going to hunting, but like recreational sport that I was really into. And my, my younger brother, Lockie, who's two years younger than I, we went out and we would spear fish up the coast, up the Great Ocean Road, uh, around the peninsula and stuff and just love it and go off to things like Wobby Gong and gummy sharks. And we'd go every Christmas and get um, crazy cray diving and free diving, all that kind of thing. So I love that and I'm obsessed with that. And then when the, when the <laughs> spearing was bad, we'd generally be surfing. And then when the surfing was bad, we'd try and do some spearing. Uh, and that was that was the case for a long time, up until my early 20s. And then when I got married and had kids and then made the tree change, I knew that that was sort of going to work. Like, spear fishing is hard enough when you're close uh, to the water, especially given like the, you have to have just the perfect conditions. Like the swell needs to be perfect. You need to have good wind. You know, obviously you want nice temperature. Like you need to have good visibility on the water. All the, all the stars have to align for a good spear. Um, but, and I knew that with, with that extended distance, it was going from like, you know, half an hour to an hour of distance when I was living near the bay to like now like an hour, hour and a half uh, when I was living in the tree change. I just knew that I had to change things up and didn't want to lose that connection to nature, didn't want to lose the sport, didn't want to lose access to good food and protein. And so I, I made the change to hunting and I literally just went out and got my, got my gun license and started exploring the local state parks and started off with like, you know, bunnies and foxes and helping farmers out and that kind of thing around the area. And then just slowly started getting to hunting deer, mostly fallow uh, around the areas that I was hunting uh, and carpet and around the waterways and stuff. And then my, uh, my sister started dating a guy called Tyson and Tyson was like an avid hunter, like high country hunting to Stamba and just, like spent years and years in the sticks and just knew the area, knew Sambas. He was like a master hunter. 
And immediately he was like the older brother that I never had. I just, I just glued myself to him <laughs> and, uh, and just said, teach me your ways. Like master, I will be your disciple. And he was fantastic. Like took me under his wings. So patient. So patient. Are they still dating? That's the question. Probably not. Yeah, man, they're married now. So <laughs> oh, I, he's, he's, he's legitimately like a brother now. Um, and I call him my brother. I even, I've done videos with him on the YouTube channel. And I call him my brother, um, even though like we're not brothers, brothers by blood, but in every other way we are. And yeah, he he just, he just taught me stuff and things that I think are really difficult to learn when you're out there trying to do it yourself. Like just to learn about how you read sign, how, how you read thermals and understand how thermals work, learning deer's behavior. Like you can spend years and years and years and years and not get any closer to the deer just because you're like, A, not in the right place or B, you're in the right place but at the wrong time or see you're at the right price at the right time, but it's the wrong temperature. It's like, it's just so much to learn. And to have someone who you can sit under, who can mentor you and can teach you, can hold your hand, can sacrifice their hunting time too for, for you, for your education, man, that's, that's gold. And I, I, I want more hunters to have that opportunity, which is why I'm a huge advocate for guided hunts and safaris and, you know, gun clubs and mentoring and all that kind of thing. But, that's um, essentially how I got into hunting. Especially, he was instrumental in getting me into hunting deer, uh, and not just like pretending I was hunting deer and <laughs> walking around State Park with like a thirty-six. But is he the one in the um, the sausage making one video you made? Yeah, yeah, him? he is. Yeah, yeah, okay. And he has something like that too. Like he's he's just he's a really well-rounded hunter who loves the animals, loves nature. He's kind of like me in that he's if you ask him hey, do you want to go out to a party or do you want to go spend three days by yourself in the bush? He'll choose the bush every time and I'm the same. I, I like people. Um, I have a measure of charisma, but I prefer to be alone. I prefer to be introspective. I prefer to be in my head and uh, enjoy that kind of seclusion and, and what nature kind of does. It's like, it like recharges me. And so he he's just been great to teach me stuff and he loves cooking. And he, he cooks. My sister doesn't cook. He cooks. Which is crazy. Oh, no. No. I know, right? <laughs> but, no. But, but he's got like the freezers full of like, you know, he's yeah. got samba, fallow, exactly. red. He's got full of calamari and crayfish. And like, he's just, he's a beast. Uh, I love him. Uh, and he's, yeah, he was super instrumental to get me into hunting for sure. So, what'd you do when uh, you got into that? Was that before or after you were married and children? Uh, so I got into hunting after I was married with kids. So it was a conversation with the wife as well. Like it's, yes, that's it's what funny always that comes the- up all the time about, you know, what, how do you swing that? Is she okay when you said – because normally guys will come home. This happens a lot. I hear this all the time. Guys ask yeah. me for advice and they say, hey, listen, man, how do I you – know, I've been with my missus – yeah, sometimes they're older, 40s, 50s. They go, I, I really want to get into this, but I don't think my missus is going to let me have guns at the house. And I go, oh, I don't know what to say, man. It's going to be a tough one. What did you say? How did you bring it up? I mean, how did it sort of work it- with you? You've hit the nail on the head. I don't think it's like, it's not an opposition to hunting. It's an opposition to guns, generally. Um, and my wife didn't grow up on a, on a farm or anything, so she wasn't exposed to guns or hunting or anything. And so when I mentioned to her, I'm like, hey, you know, I can't do spear fishing anymore. I want to do something else. I need something else. I want to do hunting. And immediately it was like, oh, you're not having guns on the property, especially with young kids. And it was just a, like a, like an ongoing conversation, just gently talking about it doing research, talking about gun safes, talking about, I'm like, got to the point where I was like, I will have the gun in a gun safe. I'll have the bolt out. I'll have the bolt somewhere separate. I'll have, you know, the ammo in a separate safe and a separate box within the, like, there's no way our kids 
Like I'll wear, I'll literally wear the key to like the ammo box around my neck so that our kids never get into it. And I'm like, I won't even show our kids where the guns are. Uh, and man, it took a lot of convincing. And now she's fine. I was literally talking to her today. Um, and like I was doing some work on a, on a rifle, sounding it down. I'm like, hey, babe, can you hold this? And I give her the gun and she's just like, fix it up. She's like looking down the sights and stuff. And I'm like, oh, she's super comfortable now, but taking years and years and years to get it that way. Yeah, exactly. I was thinking to myself there before, like, you know, it's always a tough question. People are like, I don't know how to answer it. It's just, you know, it's just a tough one. So you just keep trying. And, and some guys I know have had a lot of difficulty saying, well, you know, they just, they just, they just can't accept it. And I said, well, yeah, it's, I don't know, man. I just, what do you do? You know, if you've got children and that, I mean, you know, is it, is it, yeah, it's just like, don't envy your situation. Oh, they go, but really want to get into it. And, you know, I so, said, well, there's options, you know, but sometimes it's not even just storing them at the house, you know, they might be really opposed. So it's like, don't even want them doing that. And I said, oh, I don't know, man, that's a real tough one. Thankfully, I've never, I've nipped that in the bud pretty early. If I've been dating someone and if it's been a problem early on, I, mean, I don't tell them straight away about what I do, but, you know, wait for some to get some interest at least at the start. And then, sorry. I mean, it's a, it's a, it's a pretty involved recreational activity and hobby like it's it's not just the guns the fact is like for decent hunting and depending on where you live like in different parts of australia there's different hunting styles but certainly in victoria if you want to have a decent hunt up in the high country you're talking at least three days like minimum um preferably more um and so that's a big chunk of time to be away from your family uh to be away i mean for me it is and not for some people um some wives people some people have wives and husbands that, that are, you know, less high maintenance, <laughs> maybe, than mine. Are you saying uh, your group. wife is high maintenance, yeah. Chris? Is that I, what you're saying I here did, on the show? I would, I literally said that, and I was like, oh, my gosh, now she can't listen to the podcast. Yeah, no, uh, no, now maybe, you're going to say, listen, can... don't listen to that podcast I might have told you about that I was going to do. <laughs> yeah. I was about to say in a good way that before you interrupted me and ruined it. But, no, <laughs> I mean, like, I think, yeah, different people have, have different levels of um, – <laughs> how close they want to be to their partners and how, 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 how frequently they want to spend time with them. But uh, I know that was a big issue for my sister dating Tyson, but he came in already established. He was like, I'm a spear fisherman. I'm a hunter. I'm away all the time. It's what I love. It's what it recharges me. If you like me now, it's because I have this time away. Um, and my wife just took time to learn that. And she's great. She's so good at releasing me to go. Cause she knows that if I'm, out hunting, I'm recharging so that when I come back, I'm like, great dad. I'm like, happy dad. I'm involved husband. I'm sensitive husband. I'm thinking about her. I'm taking her on date nights and stuff. It's because I get recharged by that experience. I can come back. And we often talk about it like an elastic band. And it's like, if you let me you know, stretch out and go hunting, I'll always spring back. But if, you, if I stretch out and then you kind of come to me, then I'll just want to stretch out again. And we'll, we'll kind of play this tug and war game. Uh, so it's uh, it's still a balance. It's always going to be a balance with any relationship. But I think, you know, if you have a good relationship with your wife, then it's fine. Or husband. Yeah, it's always a <laughs> always interesting question. Always love to find out about that because especially, hey, what about, like, we'll go to a break and then we'll come right back. Do you need genuine reason? The National Shooting Council is the only true national political voice for shooters. And we offer genuine reason for hunting licenses in Victoria, New South Wales, the ACT, and Queensland. And we are working on expanding genuine reason to other states over the next couple of years. Don't just join an organization to go shooting. Make your membership count. Get your genuine reason at nationalshooting.org.au. 
Hey, what I wanted to find out too, just to, uh, in regards to that as well, what about your parents? What they say before we get to the crux of the show? What did your parents say when you said, oh, "I want to go hunting and I want to start doing all this <laughs> they, stuff"? They I mean, I guess probably not a big problem because your sister already probably was with a guy that was hunting. I mean, they're, so. they're pretty cruisy. Like, I mean, I've got really good parents, um, but they just don't understand it. Like, they don't. They they also don't understand the tree change that we made or like. Like for instance, so I, here's a great example. So we raise pigs um, and we raise them for food. They're pets, but they're also food. And uh, a couple of years ago, my mum, she's like, oh, you know, you've just had a litter of piglets. Um, we, we, we generally sell a whole bunch of them and we keep some for ourselves to fatten up, uh, maybe even to, you know, become the new mum. And she's like, can you keep one for me? And I was like, well, yeah, I can keep one for you, but it's like they're expensive to keep. They're expensive to feed and like you're going to have to contribute some money towards grain for them if, if you want to keep one. I'm like, you can have the pig for free. Um, I'm happy to butcher it for you and slaughter it for you and, you know, get it all ready, but you'll just have to feed it while it's growing up, which is like, I mean, depending on how long she wanted it, it could be six months or eight months, whatever. And we did the math, and at the end of it, um, <laughs> she's like, that's just like as expensive as the shops. I'm like, well, yeah, it is. And she's like, no, I wouldn't. Well, I'll just go buy it from the shops. I was like, oh, you don't, you just don't get it. Like the value <laughs> of like free range pork or the experience or like learning about the animals. Or she's just like, it was just the bottom dollar for her. And even she made the comment just a couple of weeks ago. Uh, she's like, I'm not really into that whole environmental thing. Like she's like, I don't really care about nature. <laughs> and I just laughed. I'm like, well, we can't say that. Like, you don't have to be a greenie. Like, I'm not a greenie. Like, I mean, I, you don't, like, have to be all, you know, save the whales. And, but I'm like, you should at least recycle if you can. Like, come on. You can't just say that I'm not interested in, in the environment. Hey, you know what? That's interesting because when you look on the, yeah, I've said this before, and it's no disrespect to, to females in general, obviously, but when you look at, and this is just how I see it on, you know, you go Facebook, you read all this stuff, especially, you know, little cute kittens. And you always look at the comments and always go, yeah, female, female, female. You might get the odd male, but generally it's very dominant, especially that sort of, you know, green-esque way is very, yes, guys obviously doing it too. There's a lot of guys, but generally, you know, a lot of guys that I know, don't even if they're not hunters, my old buddies from school, they don't get involved in things like that. Or if it comes down to like, like your, your mum said, oh, I'm not really interested in that, but you read a lot of the stuff on Facebook or yeah, things that come up, whether it's about anti-hunting, whether it's about you know some little fluffy kitten or animal, or or you know yeah. taking your own food or whatever it may be, or pigs on a farm. You know, you just, just, a lot of it's women. I don't, I don't know why. I mean, maybe it's the nurturing nature. I'm not sure what it is, but you know, I mean, obviously yeah. there's a lot of women that love hunting too. Don't get me wrong, but I'm just talking about just in general, you know, women that aren't hunters, and it always seems to be a lot of dominant. I'm not sure if it's that nurturing nature of women and the children factor and so forth, which obviously we can't do as men. I mean, some people say you yeah. can. But you obviously can't, you know. What I mean, but, you know. <laughs> I, mean I, I don't know, but I, I, I'm seeing a lot more hunters. Uh, I'm going to say broader, who have a broader appreciation that that kind of hunting doesn't start and finish with the animal. Uh, I think you know, a lot of hunters are starting to experience that and, and diversifying. And so back in the day, you know, you just have like I'm a farmer and I shoot rabbits and foxes, and then it's like. No, I'm a farmer who likes to get out in the bush and I'm like hunt deer. And then all of a sudden it's like, well, now because I want to continue hunting deer, I'm, I care about, you know, conservation and making sure we have healthy numbers of deer and, you know, good genes and all that kind of thing. And then it's like, well, then how do we, how do, we do that? Well, we look after their environment. And so then you become interested in their environment. And it's like, if I kill deer, well, 
what's the point of just killing deer? I could probably get some meat off it. And then you start appreciating the meat value. And like, I feel like hunting is becoming, not becoming, it's, it's always been this, but I feel like more and more hunters are starting to understand and appreciate the holistic nature of hunting, which is not just about the shot, not just about killing things, not just about a trophy, but it's much, much more. Uh, and there's so much richness to that lifestyle that you can gain uh, just through hunting. And I think we need more hunters like that because, I mean, you, you know better than I, um, just the stigma that can be attached to hunters and in general. And uh, I, I think we need some more positive hunting advocates <laughs> who care more about just the trophy. And not and that's not dissing the trophy at all. The trophy's awesome. We should all be trying to get out there getting trophies. But, um, yeah, I, I think there's a bit more to hunting than that, personally. Yeah, and I, I just love the – and I've got to give respect to the uh, yeah the butchers out there. I just love the butchering aspect of it, you know, like getting to learn the animal, the cuts. Like, I'm still not the best. I'm nowhere – I don't shoot enough animals to be any good, no doubt. <laughs> you know, when I'm gutting, I'm a, a bit of a hacker, you know. But, hey, it's just it's all about learning. I don't know many people that can do it, you know, like unless they've been doing it, you know, day after day after day for 10 years. There's always something, you know, new to learn. There's always a way to, you know, identify parts and, and muscle meats and what this part is, yeah. what that part is, where to cut it to get you know, through seams and so forth and and, and, yeah. and proper gutting techniques to, you know, to have a nice clean animal and, you know, hanging him up yeah. and bleeding him and leaving him for a certain amount of time to let him just relax, let the meat relax. And, I mean, there's just a lot to it. Got to respect the butchers out there because, you know, it really is an art form, isn't it, really, on how to do it. And that, that's what I love, especially when it comes down to I see people with scalpels on the faces of deer and around the lips and I go, like, how do you do that, man? Like, and when they pull the off it's like oh, there's no meat on the on the skin it's like what's the go here how do i do that like you said teach me the ways yoda teach me the ways yeah. the yoda of, of harvesting yeah, yeah man yeah. you you took the words out of my mouth like, it's such an art form and even when i was first um started with pigs and i tried like the first pig that i butchered i literally butchered it a terrible job <laughs> it did, just really average job on it um and it took me all day to butcher like 180 kilo pig um, and then I started taking it to local butchers and um, started finding butchers who wanted me to watch them. They were like, no, you know, bring the pig and come and just watch me. Man, you watch them at work and they're so quick. Like they're using their, their kind of elbows and their arms and their wrists and they're snapping things and locking things and they're, yeah, you know, yeah. chucking things through the band sort of super quick and pulling out roasts. And, man, it's, um, it is such a, an art form. It's such a, a lost art too. And I think, I think we need more butchers like when you see him cut up an animal, man, it's, it's a thing of beauty. <laughs> I know. When I was sitting there with one of my mates when we first, I think we were out hunting, it was deer. We shot a deer. I think it was my one at the time. I think it was his one. And so he goes, oh, come over here. We'll just gut it and blah, blah, blah. So I walk up there. You know, we had it on a rope up by the legs on the tree. Anyway, he slits it down. Then he, I remember, I just remember that. I never forget that image. He hands straight in there, right up to his elbows almost. And I'm like, he goes, get going. I said, oh, God, no, man. You're kidding, aren't you? I'm like getting my hands and it's guts and that with up to my elbows. I said, where's your gloves? He goes, gloves? And I said, yeah, where's the, you got like some hand gloves here? Or I don't like to taint the no. meat. But, I mean, even these days, I'm still not a, I, I do it now, no problem, but I'm still not a, wouldn't say I'm a fan of it. You know, the uh, meat system, no problem whatsoever. Guts and that, not a big fan. You know what I mean? Like just, I'll still do it. It's no problem, but I like to get it out discard it quick and then get it gone you know what i mean i don't like to stuff around with the guts and that just because yeah know, awful and those that yeah you know the you know that that system yeah just not a big fan yeah. you know let gravity do the work for you and just let it kind of drop out but um it's amazing like when you get good at gutting an animal how clean the cavity is and i think a lot of people are surprised when you 
when you really cleanly butcher something like a something like a big animal, like a like a pig or like even better a deer, and you do it really well, and you don't split the guts or the intestines or anything, and you pull it all out, man, that inside cavity is beautiful. Like you could cook a you know, cook a meal on it, like it's super clean, and it doesn't smell. Like the smelly parts are all the air, like you know that offal can be a bit smelly sometimes, but it's mostly the intestine and stuff. But if you can cleanly get all that out, man, it's um, yeah, good meat. What do you, before sure. we talk about the the website and the YouTube and stuff like that? What do you what do you like to hunt anyway? I mean, have you got those good animals out there? You've been out with your uh, I guess brother-in-law. It would be getting some good animals yeah. or any meat animals or even some good trophies that are meat animals also. Or yeah, I like I mean I like hunting samba, which is probably a bit of a cop out, like being an Aussie an Aussie and Australian and um, a Vic hunter. But uh, I just man, like, I love the challenge. Um, they, I love the. They're just ghosts. Like they just melt into the woods, and you can, when they're bedded down, you can walk straight past them, and they're not going to get up and bolt. They're not like a wallaby where you know they'll be they'll be down in the ground and in the ferns, and you walk past them, and all of a sudden you're too close, and they spring up. But I, I like hunting samba. Um, when I can't get samba, I'll go fallow. Um, I haven't really, um, I haven't got any reds. I really want to get a red. I I love the look of reds. I love their rack. Um, but I've never actually. Um, successfully hunted a red. Uh, I'd love to get out in the, into Gippsland as well and hunt some hog deer. Um, I know the guys over at Hog Deer Australia who have the most incredible property uh, with just hog deer galore, and I'd love to go out there and get a hog deer stag. But um, mostly it's samba. Um, and in terms of like the taste, I, I prefer samba as well. Like fellow is good, um, and fellow mints is fine, but um, like nothing can beat a samba snag. Like I just. I just love yeah. them so much, and and I've finally convinced my wife to like them too. But she she likes it when I cook it, and um and then put it in the fr- in the fridge, and then she'll eat it the next day cold. Uh, and I think it's because the like it kind of dulls the taste a little bit, kind of it's not as um intense, and so she'll have it with like cheese and crackers and stuff, and. It's very cultured. <laughs> yeah, not really. Yeah. Super Nothing rustic, like a but, bit um, of that. Yeah, I love the old sausages. I mean, yeah. I mean, I shot a samba, I think, up here in in uh, New South Wales, and I was quite surprised because I speak to a lot of guys that are in, you know, that do you know, a lot of samba hunting down in Victoria, for an example. And yep. I remember when I've told this story a lot, people will be sick of me telling it by now, but, you know, I had like a t- two, uh, two animals walk out. I thought... It was a chocolate fallow at first. I was sort of sitting in this grass area <laughs> yeah. so they couldn't see me. So they they moved yeah, yeah. out into the open. And I was like, oh, shit, all right, sweet, you know, chocolate fallow. Just that's what was on my mind just for that split second. And then all of a sudden, so I let it go for just two seconds until it, it was going to clear this small little shrub. And then all of a sudden something yep. caught my eye and I looked around. And I go, oh, shit, nice little – I mean, it was a pretty, pretty ordinary genetics uh, little buck. It was a nice – it was a good size one. I don't think it's had bad genetics. It was a uh, nice, yeah. um, uh, nice sandy spotted, spotted fallow and like real light man like not white or anything but you know really nice and, and light colored and i thought oh yeah. shit okay this is great you know like and my heart's <laughs> racing at this stage anyway so i ended up wasn't planning on shooting the first one because i knew i was going to go for the bigger ones i was going for meat anyway shot yeah. the shot the fallow thinking this and anyway the the other this other what i thought was a fallow at the time literally bolted about 70 meters and then 
almost spun on the spot and stared straight at me at about 80 metres. I knew it wasn't looking at me. It was just, that's just the way it turned. Then just pummeled one straight down its chest and dropped that one as well. I thought, oh, two, I got, you know, I can feed the boys and help each other out. That's what we do when we yeah. go sort of hunting. And I got up there. I said, oh, no, that's no bloody, uh, that's no fallow, man. <laughs> you have the big ears on it. And I said, this is ugly yeah. thing, you know, because I, I, I don't think fallow, uh, sorry, Sam are the best looking animal in the world, you know, no, but, right? The weird ears, cow. little goatee on them, you know what I mean? And I thought, wow, and the meat was really pink. But I ended up telling one of my mates from Victoria as well, and I said, have you ever seen, you know, like Samba hanging out with fellow? And he goes, mate, never seen any animals hanging out together ever. And I said, mate, is he sure they were together? And I go, dude, they came out of this um, game trail. And I said, one yeah. of them. And I said, only just a few seconds because I looked left and, you know, I was stuffing around probably just, you know, getting a bit bored. Looked left again, and he was already about two, three metres outside of the game trail. And he goes, how far was the other one? I said, mate, it took like three or four steps. And the other one caught my eye. So mate, I said, mate, they were definitely together. There's no doubt about it. About it. I said they were yeah. within about four or five meters from each other, so it was either just a really a fluke, but I don't think so. And he goes, "Man, I've never no, seen no. that. I've never seen it." I've seen I've seen Fallow and Sambo together quite a bit. Like, Have you? I don't think. Well, there you go. Yeah, yeah. I don't think it's as strange as people think. Um, I've, I've seen it. I've, I've even seen stags. Like the last trip, a um, couple of weeks ago, I went up to the high country with Tyson, and um, the, we went up for the afternoon hunt. I told you this story before um, when we were on the phone, and we we got up there, and you could just smell the stags instantly in this area called Samba City that we go to and um, you could just smell them. We had um, the Misty, the dog with us and she was pointing like there was no tomorrow and so my, Tyson's gone and set up, gone up and checking his game um, trail cam and I'm like you know, moving up a little bit further up the ridge and um, <laughs> and before before I could even do anything, like Misty's been it's like Misty had been in isolation as long as we had and she was so ready for the hunt we stumbled across a, a big Samba stag. Uh, he was probably, I don't know how big he was, maybe, I don't know, 180 or something, just huge beast. And he was bedded down and I spooked him and Misty just took that as like permission to go and jump on him. And she's usually really good. She's reserved. She'll, she'll hang back and she'll wait until you tell her to stick the deer. But she was so excited. Her blood was pumping. She jumped on the stag, grabbed him <laughs> by the neck. And, and he, I've never, ever seen this before. And she's like literally wrestling him. He stands up and then just like throws her off um, and then bolts into the bush. And then I turn around and then behind me, there was a giant white fallow stag, probably literally 15 meters behind me, um, who just bolted into the bush. Uh, and yeah, like it was just insane. But yeah, I, I often see, um, especially down the fringe lands, like in the morning, uh, where the pastures kind of meet the, the edges of the high country, I'll see you'll see fallow and sandbar together. Because um, I wonder if it was like random, a- you know, like my one, like, you know, you might see him on a face, maybe, you know, it's a nice face yeah. in the morning, sun's on the face of that of that mountain. You know, you got, say, Samba at 200 metres that way, fallow at 50, 80, 100 metres, 200 metres that way. Like, are they there together? But these things look like they were travelling in unison together. That was what sort of got me. I thought, geez, yeah. these guys are moving around. They've obviously come down through this game trail. Uh, yeah, yeah, it's crazy. I'm like, but then again, hey, maybe my mates, uh, I'm going to tell him, you're not as experienced as I thought, dude, <laughs> yeah, because exactly. other people have seen him, right? So you're not the hunter you think you are. <laughs> <laughs> well, I mean, it's, it's, it's interesting. I've never even heard of Sambo in New South Wales. I mean, like, certainly in Victoria and then up in Northern. Territory right up the, the peak. They talk about some samba being there as well, 
Um, but it's interesting that you even saw him in New South Wales. Um, hey, interesting story. My mate, uh, he lives on the outskirts of Sydney, so it's a rural area. He lives on, I think it's about almost 90 acres, so he, but he got a steal out there. It's worth a fortune now, just outside of Sydney, 70 acres, zone rural. Uh, he yep. came home from work, saw a black shadow running up the fence. He goes, oh, I thought I'd go get the gun anyway, just because I didn't know, I thought it was a wild dog or something. Anyway, he, yeah. he, he comes down his little buggy down the side, because he goes, I've cleared the side of the, of the property along the edge, along the fence, and he goes, as soon as I came over the ditch like and the, and the lights were facing down he goes if samba was just standing straight because i didn't know what it was well it might have been ruser <laughs> anyway he yeah, goes yeah. i plugged it with the 270 dropped on the spot all right he goes smashed it hard and went down there because i thought it was ruser but no it was definitely he sent me a picture it was a uh, samba stag so they're definitely moving up into a lot of those um southern new south wales state forests even getting up now towards yeah. north here at sydney i said maybe you should let it go let it bloody Breed up That's and good. You know, get good That's numbers good. of samba outside of Sydney because he goes. I thought it was a ruser. He goes, or, or you know, a red. And I go, I don't think it'd be red. And I've never seen him here. But you know, you're down that way towards that way. It could be, you know, ruser. He goes, and it was too dark, and this was a chocolate fellow. But anyway, he sent me photos. He goes, no, definitely samba. And I said, shit, it's pretty good, man. We end up. I just actually had that on the weekend too. I ate some of the sausages. So. That's great. That's what you want. Yeah. Push them up. Anyway, sorry, enough about me. It's all about you on this show, not about me. Um, <laughs> just tell us about the um, – so you started the – yeah, what, what sort of prompted you? I mean, and this is an industry I've been in for a long time. I mean, you know, we, we spoke on the phone before this. You know, it's not one where you can make $10 million on doing something and you're sort of doing a good service by, you know, providing people with a website where they can go and find out how to hunt. So what was the reason you wanted to, like, get involved in this industry, uh, you know, set up a website telling people where to hunt? where they can you know, book hunts if they want to go with outfitters as well. What was the sort of reason for that? Yeah, so maybe maybe I'll start by talking about like what the website is and what the website does, and then I can kind of – maybe it might seem more natural to, to jump into it that way. Yep. So huntingtroops.com.au is a website that pulls together Australia's best guided hunts, safaris, ranches, hunting properties, and courses. So outfitters out there – guys like Paul Bogue, um, ranchers like Raptor Ridge, places like that that offer hunting services, guided hunting services. Um, they're not the best uh, I've found at advertising their, their services and their wares. And so uh, what I've tried to do is make a website that pulls it all together, almost like an Airbnb but for hunting. And you can jump on the website and you can say, I'm interested in, I don't know, like Samba deer in Victoria, uh, hunting with a rifle or hunting with a bow. Um, I've got this kind of budget. I'm looking that for one that has accommodation, all these different filters, and then it will literally bring up all of the listings that match that. And then you can jump on there, you can learn about those listings, those hunting services, uh, see some pictures, information about you know what's included, what's not, uh, and then you can literally contact the app feeder from the website, and the email goes straight to them, and then you can go book your hunt with them. So it's about empowering the hunter uh, who's interested in, in hunting services to go and find the right hunt, but also helping promote those hunting um, services and helping, giving them a leg up. Uh, so the reason I got into it <laughs> is, uh, so my wife went to Mildura for three days uh, to see her sister uh, for her birthday and I was at home with the kids. And I was sitting there on the first night thinking, I could sit at home and watch Netflix for three nights or I could do something useful. Uh, and like I'm creative, I like making things. Again, I'm a website designer by trade. So I'm like, you know, I'm going to do some learning about new technologies in, in web design. And I started doing some YouTube tutorials and learning about stuff and um, started, I'm like, well, while I'm here, while I'm learning, I might as well build a platform 
while, while I'm learning to kind of prove that I've learned that thing. So I started making this website that had listings. And then I was just thinking back over conversations I've had with some of my hunting friends, um, outfitters that I know just about their experience in COVID over the last couple of years and how their services have been affected and how hard it is to get people to come out on hunts because they're getting cancelled and then they're getting booked again and cancelled again and booked again and it's just hard. And so I thought, well, this is a problem that I might be able to solve. Like I, I have, you know, a, a, a degree of knowledge about the hunting industry uh, and that's certainly grown over the last six, 12 months. Uh, I've got the ability to build a platform. Like, why don't I just make a website that lists hunts? Uh, there's nothing else like it in Australia. And so I just started making it. I, I literally just built it within, like, those three nights, I, I built the website pretty much, like, probably 95% of it. And then for the last six, seven months, I've been contacting outfitters and just saying, hey, this is a service I have. It's free to list on. It's free for hunters to use. I just want to promote your services. I'm not taking any money from you. Do you want to be on there? And like, it's a mixed result. Like, from to be honest. Hey, did anyone say no? Does anyone say no? Or like, oh no, this sounds too good to be true. Hundred percent. Yeah, hundred percent. People have said no and too good to be true. And then, like, time has been the real. It's been on my side because as I've been doing it and getting more and more people on board, and I wanted the the key to the platform is is volume, right? I need heaps of hunts on there to make it viable for people to actually use. I mean, if it's the power is in filtering between different hunts, then I need lots of hunts to filter through. And so I just, just kept plugging away. I spent nights, like every night for like months and months, just calling guys up and saying, hey, because I don't hunt it, hunting, you know, trip providers, guys hate emails. I'm just not a fan. And so I just would call up and say, hey, this is who I am. This is the elevator pitch. Love to get you on there. It's free. And they're like, eh, I don't know. And you're like, Dude, I'm like, get <laughs> get with the times. I'm trying to like help you out, and I get it. I understand it. And lots of these guys, their businesses have been built up over the years through referrals and handshakes and conversations and relationships and repeat hunters, and that's just changing. Um, COVID just changed the game and made it really hard. And so, a lot of them have really jumped on board and been like, "This is amazing. Yes, this is fantastic. Yes, I'll be on there. Yes, I'll list three hunts or whatever." Um, some of them. You know, it took some time to convince them, um, and they were skeptical about it. Like, uh, but yeah, it's it's been awesome, and it's only been it's only been live for about a month, uh, and already it's going gangbusters. Like, heaps of people are using it. People are like reaching out. Like, again, it's not a booking platform. You don't book through the platform. You just find the hunt, and then you speak to the outfitters through the platform, and then keep up communication with them outside of the platform via email and phone and stuff. So. But I'm seeing heaps of people engaging with hunts, and, and uh, that's really exciting. That makes me super happy. Did anyone get a bit narky? No one got a bit narky at all, did they, or anything? Say, oh, stop calling me or anything. Anything bad like that happen or no? Was anyone rude or not? We're not going to mention who they are or anything like that. No, no, I won't drop names. But what I, what I will say is that um, I've heard the same pains, the same, the people bringing up the same pains and issues with the industry I mean, because hunters love to talk, you know, we're all about relationships. We love yapping and having a yarn, sharing a story. Um, and you hear the same issues raised time and time again that's, that's affecting the hunting industry, uh, which is really interesting. And then you also hear them, like you go through those those stories and, and they kind of um, bear their grievances to you about what they're frustrated with in the industry. And then they say, oh, just so you know as well, like keep an eye out for this guide or or this or this ranch or because he's dodgy or they're doing dodgy things and which i really appreciate it because 
you know, coming into it. I know, I'm, you know, I know a little bit, but I don't know everything. Uh, and so it's been interesting to hear a few names pop up time and time again about guys who are, like, it just blows my mind, but, you know, hunting guides who will take people onto private property illegally and will poach animals as a business model. Like, <laughs> that just blows my mind that happens. And, like, it, I mean, it happens with hunters in general. I get that. Um, it's terrible, but it happens. But for someone to get paid and to lead innocent people into that position where they're like, it's like, here's a rifle. And then but they just think they're on, you know, you have, they have permission to shoot there. So they're just like mowing down whatever, like deer or whatever. Uh, they don't realize that they're on some farmer's property and he hasn't given them the okay to be there. And uh, <laughs> But uh, yeah, that's one of the grievances people have. The other one is um, frustrations, especially in NT. Their, their whole industry their hunting and guided industry, their safaris are, are, are built on the American hunter coming in and doing the trophy hunt. So we're talking like water buffalo, um, camels, uh, stuff like that, uh, goats, feral goats, um, scrub bull. And that's just dried up completely. That just doesn't exist anymore. Obviously, no Americans are getting to Australia at all. So they've been decimated and they're renting indigenous land by the hundreds of thousands of acres to kind of support this industry that now no longer exists and they're having to honour those contracts. And so they're really struggling and they're forced with having to consider approaching Australians for the same services to try and get Aussie hunters up to the Northern Territory to go on these safaris that are really expensive, mind you, as well, because they're a game that it's a big trophy hunter. And they just haven't done it in the past and generally don't like Aussie hunters, even though they're Australian hunters themselves, because you know, you'll come up and you'll do a water buffalo hunt and you'll go on this land that they rent and you'll bring your GPS right and you drop a few markers while you're there and then you go do the hunt, you, you pay your $6,000 or whatever, you get your trophy and then you come back like a month later and you just, you know, you don't call the guide, you just jump on the property and you go and you shoot whatever. Like, I don't think that's good, but it happens, unfortunately. And for these guides, like the animals, while they don't own them on that land, it's their livelihood. And so they're just really reluctant to... Uh, to you know, use uh, to to take Australians on these hunts, which is really disappointing because uh, you know more and more Australians should experience these big trophy hunts. Um, but the guides are just really, yeah, protective and, and skeptical, uh, unfortunately. Yeah, absolutely. Quick break, guys, and we will be right back. To own and use a firearm in New South Wales, you must have a genuine reason for using that firearm. The Australian Conservation Hunting Council is a genuine reason for owning a firearm and an approved hunting organisation for owning an R licence. We are fully insured for all members, ACHC. We do our best to keep our membership fees as low as possible. You can find out more at www.achc.com.au. The Australian Conservation Hunting Council. Mate, what about YouTube? I mean, you did some pretty good videos. I watched a few the other night, on, uh, which is pretty good. People especially, there's a question I get a lot about hunting on public land and where to go, um, starting to look for animals and, and things like that. So tell us a bit about that. Yeah, so I, as I mentioned before, I have a YouTube channel. It's called The Australian Huntsman. It's only been around for probably about, I reckon, six months or so. Uh, had a channel before that that I had for seven years. Uh, and just built it up slowly, slowly, slowly. It was in a completely different niche, not hunting at all. Um, so I've been doing YouTube for a while, only ever just as a fun creative outlet, never as anything serious, never trying to make money off it, just for fun. And yeah, it was probably only six months ago, I was just getting tired of that niche. I was getting tired of the content that I was creating there, the same kind of content over and over again. And I thought, well, 
like, what other passions do I have? Well, I'm always out hunting. Why don't I, like, I just started watching some hunting videos and I hadn't watched hunting videos previously. And there are some really great Australian hunting channels out there and there's some really terrible ones. <laughs> like, it's a real mixed bag. All right, which guess- ones are the terrible ones? <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> All right, here we go. Just no. let, me, let me line them up. Let's, let's, let's not, uh, yeah. let's not, we better no. not, we better um, not just, uh, yeah, people try, I guess, you know what I mean? Some, there's some good ones. Well, to be honest, like, the good ones are really good and are really worth watching. And there's a lot of lot you can learn and a lot of personality in them. And uh, and yeah, I just kind of got encouraged and thought, well, I could I could do something like that as well. Like just to, for my own kind of sense of satisfaction and documenting my own hunts, but also I, I feel a responsibility towards um, the hunting community in general. And I want to teach, equip, and empower. And I'm by no means, let it be known now officially like and documented, I am not an expert hunter. I'm not an expert deer hunter. I'm not an expert hunter in general. Very much always learning, always growing, always trying to have conversations with smart people like yourself to try and learn more and smart. develop. Smart, ease up, man. Flattery's not going to get you anywhere here. <laughs> yeah. Putting the butter on, <laughs> just button her up. No, um, but uh, yeah, and so I thought, but if I can pass on some knowledge and wisdom that I have, the tiny bit that I have learned, then that will make me feel better. Um, and I think what I've found as well, especially I've come in at a good time because I've found that there's a lot of new hunters at the moment. I've found that through you know huntingtrips.com.au and people using that platform, but also people um, subscribing to the channel and, and having conversations in the chat. Like there's a lot of new hunters thanks to COVID. People have been cooped up. They're frustrated. They want to go out there. They want to start something new. They want something exciting. Hunting is just like seems to be something that people are really interested in. So there's a lot of new hunters engaging with my content especially, which is really cool. And so given that's been happening, I've been trying to make content that's not just about the hunt. Like I would love to get out there and hunt more and create more hunting content. I'm just restricted in how much I can do that. But I do want to be releasing content like regularly, like once a week. So it means that a lot of my content on the channel is, is like topical or like I'm going to kick around a taboo topic. Like should you show your friends your hunting spots? Like, should you reveal that information? And it's kind of a discussion where I kick around the positives and negatives and talk about the horror stories and or like poaching, illegal poaching on property. Like, wh- why do we do that? Like, what's part of our psychology that thinks that we can creep onto someone's land in the dark, shoot something, pull it off um, and escape? Like, uh, just stuff like that. And even I've really, you mentioned a video I did recently where I talk about like hunting spots. I did a, I did a heap of research, I did weeks and weeks of research going state by state and finding where are the where are the public locations that you can hunt on. Because not everyone knows that. Like, yes, veteran hunters know that. They know all the, like, for instance, New South Wales, you have great state parks. There's rules and restrictions on, you know, where, where you can go in those state parks, what you can hunt. You need to obviously give a notice in advance. Um, so people know that. Uh, in Victoria, we have heaps of state parks, but they're kind of ranked differently. There's different um, types of parks. Like there's flora and fauna reserves versus state parks. And so I wanted to create content that explained a lot of that to people and showed them literally drop pins on the map where I'm like, you can hunt here. You can hunt here. This is a great hunt. If you're in South Australia and you're after ducks and duck season, you can hunt here. And here's a link to the PDF where you can find that map and just really empower people. And that might grind some hunters the wrong way uh, because they're like, geez, you're like giving out all this information. But it's all public information. You can, anyone can go find it. I'm just keen to help people uh, get more and more people to get into hunting and get in for the right reasons and be empowered with knowledge and information and also like have fun with the content as well. Like I 
I like I did a literally just released a video about a ring that I reviewed, and I don't really review a lot of products, but I wanted to review this because it's a ring that has a knife in it. And I thought, well, that's I did cool. see that one. Yeah, I did see that one. Why <laughs> like, well, the cops won't get onto us and say we're carrying concealed weapons or something along those lines? You know? <laughs> <laughs> yeah, yeah. But like just fun stuff like that. Like I'm, I don't take it seriously. Um, and I mean, there's like it's YouTube, right? There, there are haters out there, keyboard warriors. Um, who <laughs> try to throw mud in the comments? Section, Somebody but... always knows better on YouTube, man. Better than you, oh, apparently. Man. Better than me. Better than everybody. It's like, dude, just and enjoy what... the content and shut up. You know? Yeah, and I, I agree. I think something as well is like you. Maybe you found this with podcasting, given how long you've been doing it. But people just assume that because you're creating content, that they you think that you're an expert, uh, and it's just not the case. Like, no. I make videos and I'll, I might say something and I might be wrong. Who knows? I'm just like, I'm just saying what I know. I'm not trying. I'm not, you know, stating that I'm an expert. I'm not claiming to be an expert, but people just see stuff on YouTube and it looks polished and looks good. And they're like, Oh man, this guy thinks he knows everything. It's like, oh my God, where, where did I say that? Like not at all. Um, so, but I mean, I don't, I honestly, like I've been creating content for that long that it doesn't, I, I it's like, even a thumbs down is a positive metric in YouTube. It's like, give me as many thumbs down as you want. It's just going to push the video further. I don't, I don't really care. So. Yeah, I know. It's you, you get used to that. You, I find, you know, I mean, your first couple of years, I think three or four years even for me, you think, oh, what's someone saying? Or, you'd, you know, you would search your name on uh, Facebook or Google <laughs> yeah. and go, shit, what are these bastards saying? But, you know, and then, you know, sometimes, yeah, you used to think, man, you know what it probably irked me the most? And I've spoken to a lot of people, and this has happened a couple of times, where someone's busted my nut for God knows what reason. Maybe they, you know, just said something about their organisation or a political party they like, whatever it was, didn't really matter. You know, and then they'd bust my balls, and then all of a sudden, yeah, maybe a couple of years goes by. This has happened on more than one occasion. I, then I'd get an email, someone joining up on, say, Patreon, for an example, that wants to, you know, get my content. I go, geez, I, I know that name. Where do I know that name from? <laughs> yeah. Then all yeah. of a sudden, with the same email, I'd, I'd select the next email, and it was a private message. And basically apologising to me for uh, oh, wow. I didn't really, you know, I'd bust your nut. I'm really sorry. I thought, man, some of these people were really hardcore. Like one guy in particular, yeah. it was the point where I've taught most people that are close to me know about this, where I was like, dude, you were getting to the point where I was seriously going to have to consider legal action to get you to shut up because you'd wow. be posting my stuff on the internet, calling me, uh, you know, using my logo and changing the words to reflect someone that was dodgy and so forth. It's wow. like, dude, you, you don't even know me. You don't, you've never spoken yeah. to me. You don't know me from a bar of soap. And, okay, not as many people as bad as him. That was one off one. But I've had other people where they've, yeah, not been too happy or disagreed a lot of things and, you know, and then all of a sudden, bang, there. Or I get a PayPal payment or something like that, $60 to, to help out with shows and buy new equipment. And I was like, man, really appreciate that. I said, I'm glad you've sort of, you know, and they just said, yeah, it's totally wrong. And I'm like, this blows my mind. It's probably happened four or five times over, you know, that, wow. that, that 10 year period. And you, you just think, wow, man, like, I'm surprised you sort of come around. But, you know, it's, um, yeah, it's just, I mean, you're not going to like everything everybody does. I always say that. Listen, I've got opinions where yeah. some people like 99% of what's so that. It's like a political party. You're never going to like 100 percent of their of their uh, you know of, of their policies. It's it's just how it is. You know, you just need to if you're going to support them, support and that that you may not like occasionally something that I might say or we disagree on some area. You know, um, yeah, you know, it's, it's, it's and, just and it's look, just I how it is. I think it's I, I think it's good to be skeptical on the internet. I think that's healthy. I think you need to be skeptical of um, 
what people's agendas are, why they're making doing things a certain way, because we all have agendas. We're all trying to do something, right? Uh, but, like, I, I get that, but and I encourage that. But what I don't get is, is the is just the flat out abuse. Like it's like, why did you think that that was a good idea to share that or to be rude uh, to literally call? Like, like personally, if I have an issue with someone, I'm gonna say it to their face. Like, I'm, and I'm gonna say I'm gonna pull them aside and try and do it with you know love and grace and kindness and say, hey mate, this happened. I saw you do this. What's the go? Like, and try and understand it. Uh, never over the phone. Never in a text. Never over Facebook Messenger. Never. On a comment on YouTube or yeah, in a forum yeah. or anything. it's like, mate, just because the second that you engage with a person and have a person-to-person conversation, everything changes. The rules change, and you treat people differently, and, and and as you should, because people have value. People, you know, you need to consider people's feelings and their emotions, um, and how they might be feeling and how much they might be affected by what you say. And I just, I just don't, I just don't get it. I don't understand why people do it. Um, I think it's. I think it's a blight on humankind. Uh, and I, I love, you know, I'm kind of this weird creature that loves digital but loves nature and the outdoors and stuff. But, man, I tell you, if that, that is the ugliest thing in the digital world is just keyboard warriors. I just, it frustrates me. Like, I mean, I, it's I don't It's just let like, it... why are they watching this content for a start? Like, same as the podcast. Yeah. If you don't like <laughs> yeah. it, you just don't listen to it. It really isn't yeah. that hard, you know. Or oh, I've had people, you know, you've gone out to, I've done interviews at, um, I don't know, this one was, oh, it was a couple of years ago now. But anyway, I did a quick bunch of interviews. I selected a random person in the crowd. They must have known who I was. Oh, no, I'd never go on your show. And I said, oh, okay, no worries. About a thousand people here to choose from, no problem. Mate, by the end yeah. of the afternoon, the guy was coming up to me begging to be on, you know, and I was like, oh, man. like what happened? Four hours ago, dude. Anyway, they start talking yeah. to you, and then you actually get into a conversation with a real person, not just what you've heard yeah. on a show or a YouTube channel yeah. or whatever. And then we sort of come to the kids. Oh, you're not a bad bloke. I said, yeah, I'm okay. I'm not the best guy in the world, but uh, you know, <laughs> most people that know me, I've got a lot of friends. So I mean, I must be doing something right. I'm not a complete idiot, you know. But yeah, yeah, yeah I guess that's up to people that talk to you to judge. But they just see you on TV, or they see you, you know, not like your demeanor, whatever it may be, which is cool. But I mean, like I said, just don't. It, it's actually taught me from receiving this type of treatment on the odd occasion to not do that myself you know not to yeah. not to allow going like look look at that or that guy's having more success on me than you know or well it's not meant the podcasting but yeah oh that guy maybe having more success over here on youtube well that guy's doing pretty well podcasting in america i need to compare myself to that person and being angry with them for their success i said you just can't act yeah. like that you need There's to treat people no you know and then you know initially probably i was a, not wasn't like that but occasionally you'd let that sort of get into your mind and then i'd meet some of these people and go that guy's a good bloke you know, like, yeah. do not do yeah. that. Do not do, you know, and this is before I was receiving it as well. So it's, it's a lot of good hard lessons there to learn and very early on. And I'm glad I actually learned them very early on because some of the friends I've got now, I potentially may not have had them as friends if I'd have kept up with that initial you know, uh, rivalry attitude about, well, you started a podcast, yeah. therefore you've got to be my yeah. enemy. It's like, man, more the merrier. If you've got the, if you've got the, 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 you know, the, the drive and the backbone to sit there for, for years and continually make this week in and week out, man, you deserve a medal because I know how hard yeah. it is and you're bringing good content as well. So we're, we're in the same race together. I remember I interviewed a podcast yeah. guy probably a couple of years ago in a sort of different genre, but in, in the hunting industry. And I said, yeah, you want to come on the show? And he goes, oh, oh really? And I said, yeah, man, why not? Like, what? 
we're supposed to be enemies or something, are we? Or, yeah. And yeah. he was like blown exactly. away. He was like in sort of the bow hunting arena. I said, man, not at all. Like, why do we have to be enemies for? Like, he goes, no, I didn't yeah. think we were, but it's just, you know, just, you just don't know these things. And I said, well, mate, we're here to have a chat and we're here to bring content to people and that's what we do. You're not doing it for the money and neither am I because, as you know, and you'll learn pretty quick on the YouTube stuff, there's really no money in what we do. It's yeah. we enjoy bringing our product to people and hopefully they, they enjoy that, so... Yeah, I mean, that's why I love hunting. It's a great equaliser. You, you get out there with a guy or a girl and you, you get in some isolated area and, you, and you're together for three or four days and, you know, you're not, you're not bathing, like you get stinky and, like, it's just, it's, it's hard not to strip everything away and see who people really are. And deep down, most people are really, really good uh, and you can find ways to relate to people. It's it, what's made... I mean, like, again, I'm an introvert um, and I'll naturally isolate and that's how I recharge. But I've even discovered through this season of COVID how I still need people, how, how important people are. And you just can't get that same connection over the internet. You just can't, whether it's through content and watching someone. Like I've heard people say, Chris, your videos are great. It feels like you're actually talking to me. And I'm like, well, that's great. And, I, and, that, and I, that encourages me, but I'm not talking to you. You need to be talking to people, like actually talking to people. I need to be actually talking to people. I need to be out there hunting. You need to be out there hunting and hunting with other people. Like it's just content's great and I love it and I don't want people to like, – I, I sound like I'm turning people away from my YouTube channel. But I, yeah. people as much as possible should be hanging out with other people and connecting because yeah. Um, yeah, I, when that happens, very rarely do people fight. Um, it, it's when you it's when you yeah spend too much time in your own head or – feel removed from someone in content because you feel like you can slander them without any repercussions but the you know hits the fan and yeah Mm. not good and you know that's the people you meet too isn't it really that's as you were just saying meet people in person i've got friends that i've met through the show that you know from different states and we're great friends and people that live not far from me that i've become great friends with um i've met people at it was like a public land hunting rally like in 2014 and one of my great mates now was at that was at that rally, you know what I mean? And we got chatting and we had a lot in common. We did a few, some, we did a lot of shows together, um, you know, and it's just because, you know, you always get like, I always laugh. We always used to laugh and say, oh, what about when we're not doing the show? And I say, well, of course we're always going to be friends, man. Well, yeah, we go hunting, but it's it's much beyond than just just a hunting mate or something along those lines. I mean, the, the amount of great people that I've been able to meet, form relationships with, whether they live near me or don't live near me. I mean, we still you know, make phone calls to each other or it's just like, yeah, there's some dickheads, you know, but there's also most of them are fantastic, I would say. Most of them yeah, are pretty good, you know, in, in the grand scheme of things. So I'm glad to have forged these relationships with a lot of people. Yeah. And I'm sure you've either think- got there now or you will in the future as well. <laughs> I think most hunters are fairly genuine guys and girls. Like we, we all have a, you know a shared interest, and there might be there's a lot, a lot of, obviously a lot of diversity as I mentioned before within what what a hunter is and what a hunter likes and what a hunter does. We're all in it for different reasons, and some of them are broader and more narrow. Uh, but we all share the love of the hunt, uh, and that's a really strong binding. Like when you're taking life together, that pulls people together. Um, something about that that kind of beautiful relationship with Hunter and Prey that kind of pulls people together and helps form friendships and great stories and 
throw a bit of alcohol in there. Yeah, <laughs> Sounds well. like we're getting all uh, f- philosophical now, aren't we? You know, what is the oh, meaning man. of life? That's the next question. No, it's not really. Man, that's time. my degree, so that's that's what I'm trained in. <laughs> so. <laughs> and if you want, just look at the website too, guys. I'm sorry, the, the YouTube. If you want to go on there, it's got a bunch of different videos. The hunting philosophy. I haven't watched that one yet, but you got a, some good numbers on that one. Hunting in a rabbits in a ghillie suit. You've got that one. Some some reviews. You've got a lot of places to hunt on public land. And someone will ask me. We did discuss this before the show, but people did ask about, um, or going to ask, I should say, I was actually asking, but you know, you, you didn't put anything to do with Queensland or Western Australia on your YouTube channel about where to hunt, obviously on public land, because you know, you obviously can't, is that right? Because we can't hunt on public land, that's why it's not part of that YouTube channel yeah. there. Yeah. yeah, so I did, uh, initially I did a video of where you can hunt on public land in Australia, and I break it down state by state, and I do mention WA and also Queensland that basically there's no public hunting that you can do. The only way that you can hunt in those areas is through a club or through the Farmer Assist Program, which is a nationwide program, although I think they might have recently just stopped in Victoria, but a nationwide program that tries to connect uh, hunters with property owners to help them control pests and give them access to private property to hunt on. So that's really one of the only ways that you can hunt in WA or Queensland. Everywhere else, South Australia has a duck hunting season Victoria is like the, the mecca of hunting. You can hunt pretty much everything all year round, no bag limits apart from on hog deer. Uh, and, you know, New South Wales is pretty close behind, like got some amazing hunting there. Northern Territory has hunting uh, up there and they have some uh, some public land up there as well that you can hunt on, Crown yeah. land and stuff like yeah. that. So, yeah, there, there are, when I released those, I when I pulled apart that main video and did separate videos, I didn't bother releasing WA or Queensland because it just would have been one minute of me saying just that. Sorry, guys, <laughs> no hunting in those areas, uh, which is sad, but that's that's the government for you yeah. and what they've decided in that region. Summing up, sum up the website and the YouTube in a minute or so. Like, give us a sort of a, a wrap-up summary of what people can expect. I mean, give us the, again, where do they go to look at it again? Just give us those uh, web addresses again and where do they go? Sure, huntingtrips.com.au. If you're looking for a guided hunt, a safari, hunting course, a property to hunt on, Go check it out. You can go filter your hunts based on all those factors and what guns you want to use and what you know, bow or price, all that kind of thing. It's all on there. You can check it out. Great place to go find a hunting trip. And the Australian Huntsman is the YouTube channel, uh, which is all about having fun in the Australian bush, hunting animals, uh, learning about hunting, learning about hunting and food, uh, just having fun. It's, it's a great resource for new hunters as well. Uh, and I'm on it. <laughs> Which is cool. I was going to say, yeah, modesty too. That's uh... <laughs> yeah, exactly right. At the end. Hey, if you Why can't not? pump up yourself, who can? As they say, who can? Hey, mate, if you've listened to the pot, if you listen to this whole podcast, you've heard me talk for an hour and a bit or whatever. You must think I'm okay. So, <laughs> who knows, mate? Finish off. We always finish off with a story. Give us a story. We we want to feel like we're we're there, living at the same time, time of year, day or night, cold, summer, winter. Uh, give us one of your best hunts or something that sticks out in your mind as a, as a great day. Yeah, sure. So I went down uh, probably about six months ago down to the Otways and uh, and just like beautiful country. What I love about the Otways is that it's like rainforest. So it's really different from a lot of the other places that you hunt. It's very different from the Alpine. It's very different from the high country. It's very different from like the rolling you know, grassy plains of Gippsland. It's really unique in, in, in Victoria plenty of uh, red and fallow in there. And I kind of got into some state park, you know, parked the car in a four-wheel drive track, started slowly moving through there. And I had, it was a new spot. I hadn't been there before. And I was making my way towards an area 
um, that kind of fringed on farm territory. And so the idea was to kind of get close to that, um, see if I can see any deer and watch and wait for them to kind of hop the fence, jump into State Park, or even try and call them in. And uh, I was just cruising through, beautiful day, taking my time. And I get to the the fringe land and I pull out the binoculars and start glassing and I can see like three or four fellow. I'm like, oh, beauty, great. I'll just sit and watch these guys. And so I sat there for about 10 minutes and I'm just watching them feed and sit down in the sun and it's, you know, beautiful weather. So they're just sitting there munching on their food. All of a sudden, a few more come and there's like five or six. I'm like, okay, cool. Then there's seven or eight, nine or 10. I'm like, geez, how many, how many are here? And then I'm seeing like one stag, I'm seeing two stags. Um, I'm like, this is crazy. And I started to look between the gullies and they're all kind of coming together in this massive herd, this massive mob. And uh, by the time I'd probably waited about an hour, I counted 48 fallow in one point. All right. What is the GPS coordinates of such an area? <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> I, that is one spot that I will not be sharing. And I have footage of it on my phone. And I'm, I'm not even sharing that because I don't want anyone to find this spot. And I was like, this is ridiculous, but they're all in the, the, the fringe land. None of them are in the state park. And so I, I sat there and then all of a sudden the wind changed and you just literally saw like this stag just lift his head and immediately look in my direction. And I was probably about 80 meters, 90 meters away. And you could tell he just, he just got with me. And then he just looked at the girls and then he just barked once. And then the whole mob just stampeded over the valley, went straight down the gully, up over the next valley. And I got it on camera and I, and I, cause I literally then went back home. I was like, this is ridiculous. And I paused it. I went frame by frame and I counted like three stags and the rest of that 48 or whatever it was with, um, hinds and, uh, does. And it was just, it was crazy. Like it was just the coolest thing I've ever seen. Like that massive mob. And I've never seen a mob that big again. And I probably won't. Uh, but it was a sight to behold. Uh, didn't get a shot off, but that's all right. <laughs> Man, when you see that many deer, it doesn't matter. It still sounds like a pretty good day to me. Yeah, it was. It was a lot of fun. Had my heart racing, that's for sure. Absolutely. All right, Chris, thanks for joining us on the show, man. It's been really fantastic. So if anyone wants to go on there, YouTube, The Australian Huntsman, and if I've got it right, huntingtrips.com.au. Check it out, where to hunt. If you want to book a hunt, there's plenty of places to go for guided hunts, you know, depending on what state you're in. Check out the YouTube channel. Obviously, it's got all in one place to find out where you can hunt on public land. So Chris Waters, thank you for joining me here on AHP, man. I really appreciate it. We'll catch up again soon. Right, thanks for having me. It's been awesome. You've been listening to an episode of the Australian Hunting Podcast. I hope you enjoyed it. See you next time.